Well, this morning we start a brand new series called Cups of Promise. I'm excited to start this new series today. How many of you here could use to hear that God has a promise for you? Amen. Amen. I'm here to tell you this morning that God not only has a promise for you, He has an entire book of promises for you. I'm also here to tell you, you understand how Jesus said that all the law could be wrapped up into two laws. He said, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I believe all of the promises of God for us as believers can be wrapped up into the four cups of promise that God established with the Israelite people some 3,500 years ago. It's fitting today that we start this message on Communion Sunday because the cups of promise are exactly what Christ was drinking from on the night of the Last Supper. Most of us who have been in church for some time would say, hey, we got a pretty good grasp on what communion is. We got a pretty good idea of what it's all about. We get this cup and we got this bread. Cup and bread. They represent the body of Jesus. They represent His body that was given for us. They represent the blood that was shed for us. And when we take communion, we usually read from the Gospels. We usually read maybe from 1 Corinthians. And we recount the story of that Last Supper. You know, and for many of us, that, that we think that's kind of maybe what took place that night was just a cup and some bread. Many of us may not even realize the cup that Jesus was drinking from was actually part of the Passover feast. It wasn't an afterthought. It was part of what they actually did for the Passover. The Passover feast then, and still today for the Jewish people, consists of four cups. Each cup represents a promise of God. And we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at each one of those cups, each one of those promises individually. But today we're going to begin by laying a foundation and talking about the promises of God in general. Before we get too far into today's message, I want to recommend a book to you. I'm not making any money on this. I didn't write this book. I don't profit from this book. It's called, Four, it's called Four Cups. It's written by Pastor Chris Hodges. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, many of you may know Pastor Chris. Some of you may know that uh, Church of the Highlands has a network, a grow network, where they do a lot of training and teaching for pastors and leaders. And we're part of that network. Uh, we're, we're made available to a conference call every week, talk about issues in the church and talk about things and to develop our leaders. They serve as a great resource and as a coach to us here at Connection Point. Now this book he has written, Four Cups, gives a more in-depth study of what we're going to be talking about during our series than what we'll be able to, to cover in 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. So we won't be going through this book line by line, but we will be pulling a lot from this book, and I'd recommend that you pick it up because I think 
as we go through this, this study, if you um, read this as a supplement to what we're doing on Sunday morning, you're going to get a lot more out of what we do on Sunday morning. This, this Four Cups um, book, it also serves as the basis for the growth track assimilation model that Church of the Highlands put in place that we use here, that many of our churches across this state and around the, the U.S. actually use. You see, each one of these cups has a promise. And we go through those a little more in depth in the growth track model of assimilation. If you've not been through growth track, it's our way of assimilating people into, getting them plugged into Connection Point. I know you're like, well, when's the next time you're going to have one? Well, it's, it's the summertime right now, and as you can see, we've got some of our folks are on vacation, and we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to go through that if you haven't. So we will start that back up in the fall. It takes place immediately following Sunday morning service. So we'll start that the first of August, that first Sunday in August, and then it'll be regularly monthly, and I want to encourage you to to be a part of that. If you've missed one of the four classes, you can pick up any one of those. If you've not been to any of them, get to those classes. It's going to help you to get plugged in. I can't strongly encourage you enough to go through it. This morning, I just, I'm so, as I said, when I opened, I'm excited about this message, and this is why. I believe through this series, there are going to be people who are going to change their way of thinking. And in doing so, it's going to change your lives. Many of you don't realize that God has promises for you. You just, you're going through life and you think that God, some, for some reason, is just hoping that you're somehow going to make it through. You think that God is just hoping you can just somehow get through and hold on until He comes to bring you home. If that's you this morning, listen up because I believe God has got a word for you. Church, you need to understand that God's Word is absolutely full of promises. First Peter, our second Peter 1.4 says this, Though or through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I'm not sure you heard that because it says God has given us His great and precious promises. Not man's promises, but God's promises. And what does the word call His promises? It says great and precious. And that's not all it says. It says so that you, through them, may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you understand what a promise is? Do you understand what that is? Let's look at Webster's just real quick and see what Webster says a promise is. It says it's a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. It says a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. I love that second one. It's there in your notes. Fill in the blanks. It says, A promise is a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim 
the performance or forbearance of a specified act. In light of knowing what a promise is, do you understand now what that scripture was saying? Do you understand how significant that scripture is to your life? God is saying that you don't have to be led by your sinful flesh. Yes. He's saying that you don't have to continually fall to sin. Some of you think you'll always, by, always be led astray. Some of you think you will always fall to temptation. But God is telling you He has a great and precious promise for you, and it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to continually fall to sin. You don't have to continually find yourself in some dark, desperate place. God is saying, no, that is not the way I intended it for. I have something better for you. Amen. God is saying, there is freedom in Him. The really great thing about God's promise, where it says His great and precious promise, is this. They are not man's promise. People have let you down time and time again. People have said they would be there for you, and as soon as, soon as things got a little bit tough, they're gone. People have said, call them when you need something. And you did. And guess what? They weren't there. People have said, I will always be there for you. And they left. People have said, I'll take care of you. And kicked you to the curb. People have failed you time and time and time again. Breaking one promise after another. And guess what? Every one of us here has done the same thing. We've all broken promises. But church, God is not man. God does not lie. He promises what He promises, and His promises are yes and amen. His promises never, ever, ever fail. He will never let you down. Joshua 21, 45 says it this way. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. How many were fulfilled? Not one, not some, not even many. It says every one was fulfilled. Church, if God has made you a promise, you can take it to the bank. It's a check that's not going to bounce. It's a check I promise you, you can cash. I'm not sure you're getting this. God said, I promise you, I have great and precious Promises for you. Amen. Church, His promises are guaranteed. Hebrews 6, 17 through 18 in the Message Bible says it this way. When God wanted to guarantee His promises, He gave His word a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break His word, and because His word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. Church, His promises are guaranteed. But you need to understand this. There are some catches. The first one is this. You need to know His promises. 
John 8.32. It's there in your notes. It says this, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Church, if you don't know the truth, you aren't going to be set free. It's in knowing the truth that there is freedom. That's where freedom happens is when you know the truth. First Chronicles says this, For the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. Church, you need to understand that God has made His promises known in His Word. But if you don't open it, if you aren't going to know what's available to you, it can't just be a book that sits on a shelf. It can't be something that you simply see in the pew in front of you on Sunday morning. You've got to take it and you've got to open it. This is something that we try to go over and over with you, whether it's me or Pastor Chris up here, over and over again, we tell you how important it is for you to be in the Word of God. You can't live all week on what we talk about on Sunday mornings. You have got to dig in on your own as well. This word that we give on Sunday morning is meant to be a starting point. It's not meant to be an end point, And by all means, it's not meant to be the only point of contact for you in the Word of God. Amen. If you've been handed a devastating report from a doctor, you need to know the promises of God. You need to know what's in this book. You need to know that Jeremiah says, For I will restore health to you, and I will heal you of your wounds. If you've been handed a bad report from a doctor, you need to know that Psalms 118 says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. You need to know that Psalms 107 says, He sent His word and healed them. You need to know that Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, and heals all your diseases. If you have unsaved family members, you need to know what the Word of God says. You need to know the promise that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. You need to know if you're struggling financially what the Word says. It says, but my God shall supply all my needs, not according to my riches, but according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. If you are battling with depression, if you're struggling with that, you need to know what the Word of God says. You need to know that the Word of God says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you are constantly battling fear, you need to know that the Word says, I sought the Lord and He heard from me and delivered me from all my fears. You need to know that Isaiah 43 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Church, if this don't get you excited, I don't know what's going to. He said, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You understand? He calls you by name. He says you are His. Church, you need to understand that this Father has promises for His children. You've got to know 
the promises of God. Your number one priority in this life has got to be daily spending time in the Word of God. So many of you come to me and you say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, but so many of you spent more time in the last year on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram than you have ever spent in your entire life in the Word of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing wrong with those things, but some of you spend more time on there spreading gossip and dirty laundry on social media than you do trying to get to know the Creator of the universe. You see, if you spend a little more time in the Word, you might know that the Word says, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. You would know that Leviticus says, do not go about spreading slander among your people. You would know that Proverbs says a gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around chatterers. The bottom line is this. You have got to get in the Word of God. You have got to know the promises of the Word. Hebrews 10.36 says, it's in your notes, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. That's the second thing. You have got to receive His promises. So how do you receive His promises? Well, obviously, first, you've got to know them. You've got to know His promises in order to receive them. But secondly, you've got to understand that His promises are conditional. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Todd, I thought the promises of God are unconditional. Well, that's true in the fact that He makes His promises available to all people, regardless of how good or how bad you may think that a person may be. But you also need to understand this. The promises of God do come with conditions. You've heard me and you've heard Pastor Chris both say this over and over again. The promises of God are this. They're if-then statements. If this, then this. If this, then this. For instance, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The promise of salvation. If this, then this. James tells us the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Matthew says it this way, and whatever you ask in prayer you will receive if you have faith. The promise of healing if you have faith. Deuteronomy says you will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The promise of blessing. Church, you need to understand the word of God is filled with promises of God. Over and over throughout Scripture, you're going to see the promises of God being tied to you being in a right relationship with Him. In order to receive the promises, you need to understand what His promises are. When I say understand His promises, I'm not saying that you have to understand why God would do what He does. You're never going to. We are never going to understand why God would offer these awesome, incredible gifts 
We don't understand the mind of God. It's beyond our understanding. What I am saying is this. You need to understand that you have a role to play. Just like our verse in 2 Peter said this morning, it said this, so that you may participate in His divine nature. Number one, you need to know His promise. Number two, you need to receive His promise. And number three, you need to walk in His promise. Psalms 37, it's there in your notes again. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delights in His way. Church, once you know the promises of God and you receive them, you got to begin walking in them. So many people, if they don't see an immediate result or things don't happen exactly the way they had planned, they do this. They turn their back on God. They turn their back on the promises of God. And they start saying things like, I'll just do it my way. God's not going to answer me anyway. He never does. Church, you have got to walk in the promises of God. It's got to be, you've got to know it and you've got to receive it, but you have got to declare His promises. Amen. It's one thing to know that Psalm says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. It's another thing when you receive that bad report to declare that and walk in it over your life. It's one thing completely to know that it says, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. It's something completely different to declare that over your life, to speak that over your life, to say, I shall not die. I will live and I will declare the works of the Lord. There's a big difference between knowing it and walking in it. I hope you're beginning to understand that God has some promises for you. Turn with me real quick in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. And I'll get there in just a second. When God was about to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, He made some promises to the people of Israel. And we, in order to understand what those promises are, we need a little bit of context and a little bit of background. Most of you, if you've been in church for any time at all, or even maybe seen a, a movie of Joseph or Moses, you kind of understand the story of how the Israelites got to Egypt. So we're not going to spend a lot of time there, so we're going to try to cover about 400, 500, 430 years, actually, in about three minutes. So we'll get through it real quick. Jacob had a bunch of sons. One of them was his favorite. I know every sibling, everybody who has a brother and sister thinks their parent has a favorite. But in this case, it was true. Jacob had a son named Joseph. And you remember how he made him a coat of many colors. Well, his brothers, they didn't like this so much. So much so that they threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and told their dad that he was killed by wild animals. So that's how Joseph gets to Egypt, being sold there as a slave. And even though he was sold into slavery there, it didn't take him long to rise up through the ranks. And even though he had several setbacks, including prison, God's plan to use Joseph was not to be thwarted. 
a great famine hit the land of Egypt. And as, if you know the story, Joseph was put in charge of all of the, the food of the, the land of Egypt, and he came up with a plan. And though this famine hit, um, Egypt had more than enough. So much so that those from surrounding countries came and traveled to Egypt to get food. Well, Joseph's family was part of those who traveled there. And after some time, you know the story, Joseph makes a way for his family, and he provides them with food, and he provides them a place to stay there in Egypt. Well, it didn't take long for the Israelites to greatly multiply. And the next pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, he took notice of how quickly these Israelites were multiplying, and he put them all into slavery. The entire country of Israel now enslaved in Egypt. So fast forward several hundred years. The Israelites have been enslaved. There have been this great oppression upon them. And the Pharaoh was in fact so concerned that the Israelites would rise up against him that he ordered that every male born would be killed. And you know, you know the story of how Moses was hidden into the river, into a basket, and Pharaoh's daughter found him there, and she raised him as her own in the palace of Egypt. Moses brought up as a prince. Fast forward another 40 years, he's grown. The Israelites have been put under more oppression. They've been beat down. They're enslaved. Moses witnesses one of the, Israel, or one of the Egyptian guards strike an Israelite, and he kills that guard. So Moses flees across the desert where he meets a girl and spends the next 40 years taking and tending to his father-in-law's herd. And this is where God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, and he says this. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So Moses goes, he tells the people, he tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh doesn't let him go. So it doesn't happen exactly the way that Moses intended it to happen. Has anybody ever been there? Amen. You prayed, you thought it should go one way, and it didn't. It didn't go the way you thought it should go or in the time that you thought it should. I know I've been there. So Moses goes back to God. And he's like, look, you told me to go do this. I went and did it, and nothing happened. In fact, now we're worse off than we were before. They're making us work harder. They've enslaved us even more, if it can be so. They used to at least supply the straw. Now they didn't even supply the straw to make the brick. So here's God's response to him there in Exodus 6, 
beginning with this verse number 6. You're going to find in these scriptures in Exodus are the four promises that we'll be talking about over the next several weeks. These scriptures here, are these two passages, are also known by the Jewish people as the I wills of God. They're read aloud during the Passover feast. They would have been read aloud on the night of the Last Supper when Jesus was there. It goes like this. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. We're about to close in just a few minutes, but I want to give you a glimpse of what these cups are. There in verse 6, he tells you, I will bring you out. You need to understand, this is a promise of salvation. Titus 3 says it this way in the Message Bible. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin. Don't you like how sometimes the Message Bible just kind of says it like it is? Ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hating, hated, and hating back. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? But when God, our kind and loving Savior, God, stepped in. He saved us from all of that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Ghost. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come. An eternity of life. You can count on this. You need to understand there is a reason that the cup of salvation is a cup all to itself, that it's a promise all alone. God doesn't want this cup being mixed with any of the other cups. He doesn't want it being mixed with a cup of works. He doesn't want it being mixed with anything. It's a cup of salvation all to itself. Why? Because He doesn't want there to be any confusion in your mind of who did the work. Salvation is a gift from God. The second cup, or the second promise, is this. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you. This is God's promise of deliverance. It sounds very similar to I will bring you out. It says, I will bring you out, and then it says, I will free you. Why does he say that? Have you ever... If you've been saved, that happened in an instant, right? 
cup of salvation in an instant. But sometimes it took a little bit of time to get the old self out. Right? He freed them from Israel. He brought them out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. But it took a little time to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Romans tells us this, So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You see, there's a reason he had to make that as two promises. You need to understand, he frees you from your sin, but sometimes we got to work it out. It, Paul tells us to work out your salvation. That doesn't mean you're working to gain your salvation. You're working to get that old person gone. Because so many times we want to hold on to bits and pieces of our old sinful desires. And God's saying, look, I'm going to free you from that too. I'm going to make you completely free. You see, sometimes deliverance takes a little time. Salvation happens in an instant. But deliverance takes a little bit sometimes. The third thing is, he says this, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Church, this is God's promise of restoration. Ephesians 1 says this, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is working out in everything and everyone. This is where we find our purpose, in the cup of redemption. This is where we find that Jeremiah 29.11 for our life. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is God's promise of restoration. This third cup is the third cup that Jesus drank at the Lord's Supper. This is the cup that is taken after the Passover meal. This third cup in our lives is all about us discovering who we are in Christ and what He has called us to do and to be. And church, this is where we want to help you. This is where we can help through the growth track model by helping you discover who God has called you to be, to find your place of ministry. This is where you find your calling and your purpose. The fourth thing he says is this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Church, this is God's promise of fulfillment. Do you see the unique thing in this passage? He says over and over again, he says, you, 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 and you. And then he says, take you as my own people. You see, ultimate fulfillment happens in a body of believers. It doesn't happen alone. It doesn't happen just simply individually. It happens 
as a group of people. You need to understand God didn't call you to walk this life out alone. He called you to be a part of a body. You will never know how awesome and fulfilled your life can be until you are part of a team making a difference. This is when we begin to really live out our purpose. It's where we begin to live our life of purpose as part of a body of believers. This is where we want you to get. When we say at Connection Point, equipping people for life's journey, this is what we're talking about right here. Taking you from a point of a cup of salvation all the way through to a cup of fulfillment. This is what it's all about. We want to see you come to a cup of salvation, absolutely. But church, we don't want you to stay there. God has so much more for you. We want you to go all the way through to the cup of fulfillment. We want you to go to being delivered. We want you to go to being redeemed, to be restored. All the way, finally, getting to that cup of fulfillment where you are truly living God's purpose for your life as part of a team. Church, God has a promise for you. But the question is, will you accept it? Let's pray.